Hey, and welcome to episode 28 of the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from Hollywood. And today I'm joined by my co-hosts, two of them this time, starting off from Georgia. Introduce yourself, Jody. Hey everyone, I was actually going to say I'm from Georgia right now and it's almost as hot as Agrabah here. It's 102 degrees, so it's burning up. And I'm super excited to be talking about Aladdin today. And also from Hibbing, Minnesota, home of Bob Dylan, yes, Hannah Lee Smart rejoining us once again after our Missing Link review. Hi everyone, thanks for having me back, Philip. So excited to talk about the Princess of Agrabah and her crazy carpet ride. So primarily today, we'll be picking up where we left off last week with our review of 1992's Disney animated classic, Aladdin, a perennial favorite for all of us here on the show. It was just Jody and I last week, but today we do have the privilege of having Hannah as well. Um, Hannah, I would very much welcome your thoughts on the original 1992 Aladdin, if you have any kind of brief um, summations of you know, kind of your history with the film. Uh, yeah, what, what's your perspective on Aladdin overall? So I feel like I grew up with that story. So as a child, I wasn't much of a critic for those things, but I've always thought that that was one of the most wondrous Disney movies, even though they're all wonderful, whatever wondrous. Um, but I think the just the thought of having like a magic carpet or something in your house really makes the kid's mind move in a way that it might not have before. I thought it was really interesting um, that they took a lot of cultural things and put them into um, a kid's movie, an animated movie. And I thought that was really, really smart and a way to introduce um, a culture to like young American children. I know it goes all over the world, but just... Specifically, I really like it when we introduce um, princesses of color, and I think it's really, really great to have that as part of the Disney princess lineup. Again, we just sort of blanket endorse their practice of introducing multiculturalism to the Disney animated library, but th there are ways that could have been done that would have been less respectful of the culture. But uh, it seems to be that the film still holds up very well as a representation of Middle Eastern culture and I think has a, a huge following among people of Middle Eastern origin. You guys would probably have a little bit better perspective on how Middle Eastern people you know, of, of that descent uh, feel about Aladdin. Uh, would you say it's, it's pretty positive? Yeah, I think so. We actually have a friend. Um, her name is Macy. Hi, Macy. Um, she actually listens to the podcast, so that's pretty cute that we can give her a little shout out. But she is um, from the Middle East, and she moved here when she was in like eighth grade. And she said that um, she would just tell like the other kids that she was kind of like Jasmine, and it was nice to have a princess that she related to. And I just think it kind of opens the door for even children to have conversations that they might not have had before. And it's really important for everyone to be aware of that. And I think even in recent years, so in the parks, um, Disney changed Jasmine's costume a few years ago to even further the line of respect. And I think it's really important to introduce that really early. And I think they did a pretty good job of that. Awesome. Yes, Aladdin uh, was the 31st film from Walt Disney Animation Studios. And today we'll be talking about its 
live action adaptation released uh, May 24th, 2019, directed by Guy Ritchie, starring Will Smith, Mina Masood, uh, Naomi Scott. And, and we'll get into, yeah, all the cast and info, uh, kind of overview info, uh, but also how we felt about the execution of the film, the plot, uh, the story, the, the design. Uh, yeah, let's just get into it. But I'm going to derail this. I'm going to pull a, a Philip Koo just briefly. <laughs> and <laughs> talk about something before the movie uh, in the screening I saw, which was the 3D big screen iteration of the, the Frozen 2 teaser trailer that we did a full episode on back on uh, episode 16 of the Thodcast. And um, I had one brief insight occur to me while I was watching this, this time around. Uh, just so so beautiful. The film looks absolutely gorgeous. I, I'm of course a huge Frozen fan. It's part of why I started. <laughs> it's part of why I started the Thodcast. Uh, Thod being the opposite of Frozen. I guess if you look at it also in terms of animation, um, you know, animation is very fluid versus live actions. You know, a bit more rigid. So you know, liquid versus solid, that type of thing. Um, the, and of course, today we're talking about a live action film, but it incorporates a lot of animation and is also based on an animated property. Um, but yeah, um, this this trailer is just something that really um, appeals to me and <laughs> is makes me excited as a Frozen fan. Um, but there's a scene in the beginning where Elsa is facing off with the ocean and the surf. Um, and I, I commented that her approach to this whole situation seemed a little force, a little off, off her character. She's giving a very stern look and you know, makes this terse nod as she, go, she faces down with the raging waters. And um, I, 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 something didn't sit very well with me. I realized that I, I would have preferred the scene playing out better if she had a more calm, sort of serene disposition and countenance. Um, she, like if she were doing sort of a karate kid, you know, meditation or pose before mm -hmm. going at this challenge, um, that, that would have fit better with sort of my interpretation of the character. However, I, I think this is intentional because she, we see her failing at the end of this attempt of trying to get past the surf. Right. And I think that might be because she is going in so, you know, bullheadedly. She, she's not taking a calm approach. She's, she's being very um, aggressive. Um, and, and I think that will reflect her arc throughout the film. You know, there may be a scene later on where she does um, find, you know, come, she approaches it from a place of inner peace. And that's when she'll, you know, overcome the waves and then, maybe uh, break into like a song while she's out on the open ocean. Who knows? Well, I hope she has a song. That is some really good insight. I didn't really think about that before. And we still have, I think like a hundred days before we really find out, but I agree seeing the trailer up on the big screen was amazing. And, and that's a good thought that maybe that's going to be more of her storyline is finding that, that peaceful control of her powers. Yes. I, I hope so. I, seems like it's going in that direction. There's actually been a clip uh, the, in addition to the trailer that's sort of made it out onto the internet. 
Um, I think it was played during the Disney shareholders meeting. Just a line from Anna saying, uh, essentially, there's something wrong with Elsa or Elsa isn't all right. Something along those lines. So that's going to be a major thread in this upcoming, you know, sequel to Frozen. Um, Elsa kind of finding, uh, you know, a bit more, uh, you know, repose and, and peace in her life. Her, her struggle isn't over. Mm-mm. Not until the money runs out, Philip. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Her struggle's not over, but but yeah, I agree. It's it's going to be exciting to find out. I really can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. All right, now to Aladdin. Uh, apologies for that derailment. Um, so let's just get into it. What what did y'all think of this movie? I uh, sat in the theater and I enjoyed it. I really started out. Uh, liking it and you know it, it didn't blow me away but overall I'm pretty positive on it how about you yeah I mean I think we were lucky enough to get to watch it together and I don't want to speak for, for both like Hannah and I but I think most of us sort of had low expectations going in um, live actions I mean it's so hard to imagine it beating the original and plus we had heard some of our friends and online we had read a couple things that said it just didn't quite meet the mark so I went into it saying like okay well we're gonna go to a movie and for better or worse we'll come out of a movie but I really loved it I laughed I cried I sang along and like I said to Hannah a little earlier the aesthetics literally had me hypnotized I don't think I blinked once watching that movie and at the end my eyes were like sore from soaking in the color so I was happily 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 leaving that theater and I can't wait to see it again in 3D. What did you think, Hannah? So I was also a little worried because we saw that on Rotten Tomatoes, it only has like 58%, but then it has 94% with the audience. So to me, that's like a huge difference. I mean, in math, it's a huge difference. So we all know that. Um, But I was going into it thinking like, okay, I'm just having a fun night with my friends. Like I'm not expecting anything. I also wasn't very excited with the casting. I wasn't too familiar with anyone that was in it. Jasmine, um, Naomi Scott, that's Jasmine, right? Yes. I'm saying her. Okay, perfect. Um, So she, I know, is in like some Disney Channel movies that I saw, like just the original movies, nothing too big and crazy. She was never in high school musicals. She was just in the filler ones between Halloween Town, those type of Disney Channel movies. Um, So I didn't have super high expectations for her. But before the movie, we also heard the song Speechless. And I have to say that made me extra interested. Mm -hmm. Um, As a music person, I just knew that I was going to love that part of the movie because I just really liked the song. Um, I wasn't too excited to see Will Smith as the genie, but after watching him portray the genie, I thought to myself, well, this was definitely a casting choice because he played the genie as Will Smith would play the genie and he didn't pretend to be Robin Williams. And I think a lot of the negative reviews online were just people saying that he didn't match Robin Williams aesthetic and all this Um, stuff about the original film Mm -hmm. and I'm not really a fan of live action to begin with I didn't love live action Cinderella I didn't love a lot of live action movies that I've seen in the past but I thought that it was very interesting that they took um, they took parts that were famous they took Robin Williams little kickbacks in some of the lines and they manifested their own way of saying them and so it was Will Smith playing the genie in his own way 
and he had a respect for Robin Williams and the other actors had a respect for all the actors that had come from the animated film. And you could tell in some of the dialect and how they used um, different parts of their voices that they really were trying to play homage to that original movie, yet still make those parts their own. So long story short, I thought it was great and I think it deserves a little more tomatoes than it's getting. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, that was the big news coming out of the announcement. You know, who would replace Robin Williams as the genie? Uh, we didn't mention this last episode, but um, Disney has a contract essentially with the um, estate of Robin Williams that they will not use uh, any material from Robin Williams' original recordings on you know, 1992's Aladdin or any subsequent recordings for future material related to Aladdin. So that's a big reason why they didn't just go ahead and use Robin Williams and, and some of his existing material mm. for this film, because that could have been an option. Yeah, I guess they could have thrown that in a little bit with voiceovers and, and things like that, and, and as well as promotion and marketing of the movie itself. They could have taken snips and bits. I'm really happy to hear that they are respecting that contract and they weren't trying to, you know, find any loopholes with it, because I do think that's, I mean, as we discussed before, something that Robin Williams was pretty firm about after finishing up that project. Mm -hmm. Very, he has a lot of uh, strong convictions about, his career in entertainment it was never about the money for him and yeah you know, his family is held true to that as well um and i think it's good that they decided to mix things up with this uh current version will smith does a great job he's very charming he's just oozing charisma as an actor mm -hmm. i mean we've known that ever since fresh <laughs> prince of bel-air um I, he wasn't necessarily the best singer but it really played well in the opening scene where it's a flash forward of him. So uh, full spoilers for the film Aladdin 2019, by the way, uh, from here on out. And uh, so we see that Will Smith has children and he's on a boat. He's this, he's kind of like the merchant character from the original film. Um, and then he's retelling the story of Aladdin to his kids. And he's, he begins singing. And, I think it's always cute when a parent's singing for their kids, even if, and especially if their singing's not even all that, you know, polished sounding, mm -hmm. um, which his, his didn't so much. I mean, he, he sings fine. Uh, it's just not quite as operatic as, you know. I even, think it's just you know. how Will Smith would sing. Like if Will Smith mm -hmm. is singing, that's how Will Smith would sound. And mm -hmm. so I think it was intentional in casting that they weren't going to cast like a Broadway star and he does have albums, but he's known for more like rap and those types of deals. Exactly. So songs type of music genre. There you mm. go. Um, I think he's more famous for the rap than like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He didn't really sing. He doesn't, he's not a singer. And there's lots of actors that um, go into musicals and I just am a musical theater person. So I just happen to know a lot of these things in, um, Chicago, they had Renee Zellweger learn how to sing for that part. Hmm. And it was kind of a big stew. And I know that's a little off topic, but I think actors learn how to sing for the shows that they're in when they're asked to. And I think that's how Will Smith would sound if he sang. 
So if he was trying to sing operatically, he wouldn't sound as clean and as polished rather than just trying to sing naturally with a voice that I'm sure he worked on with a voice teacher. And then in the other scenes where it did get a little more towards his usual cup of tea, if you will, I think that he was more ready and he seemed more confident in those scenes. But I think when he was singing, it just sounded like you're right, naturally like singing to your kid's style. Mm-hmm. That really worked for me. Uh, it was a beautiful shot taking us through you know, the desert to you know, the streets of Agrabah and, and the palace, um, you know, ju- jumping to the Cave of Wonders opening sequence, which was abbreviated in this version. It's really just you, you see the, you know, Jafar kind of standing ominously behind the thief trying to enter the cave and um, the, the, or whoever it is who's trying to enter the cave in this version, they're being coerced. Uh, and then, the, you know, it's not the right person. <laughs> so it just collapses on them. Probably. That was a lot scarier in live action than I remember it being in the cartoon version. The thought of a giant pile of sand just collapsing on you to be the end of your life. Mm. Misty and I looked at each other and I was like, this movie is going to be a little bit more intense than I anticipated. I mean, I whispered it, but like that, that was a strong start. Probably the darkest moment. I don't, there, there really isn't character death later on in the film, as far as I can recall. No, a lot of manipulative like power use and like kind of like knocking people down or like taking like what would you call it like holding their breath almost but nothing Mm -hmm. like life and death moment. Yeah, the movie's rated PG for some action peril. (laughs) I guess that matters and that counts as action peril. It, It probably could have been rated G. I yeah. I mean, some kids are scared of Moana's little lava monsters, so I feel like they'd definitely be afraid of a giant, like, tiger cave falling down on someone. Mm-hmm. Everything should be PG because your parents should watch everything before they let you watch it. Oh, yeah, that's something I wanted to mention. Um, and, it, Philip, it was your prediction that this movie was going to be a little obviously aimed towards, like, 90s kids. But we got to the sold-out theater, and in the whole theater, there were probably only three children under the age of 10. It was mostly people our age or older. And I thought that was really interesting. I'm sure more kids wow. will go now that it's been out a little while, but I wanted to mention that we didn't see very many kids at Aladdin. That's great. Well, speaking of uh, Will Smith, they didn't show him as often in human form as I thought they would. It seemed like he did kind of stick to the blue genie form uh, quite a bit, even in scenes where you know, they wouldn't have had to necessarily go through the effort of animating him um and you know he looked okay but he kind of looked like a big cartoon person um maybe maybe like thanos i guess from avengers um just you know i i I really liked when when he reverted to like a a human you know real will smith (laughs) Uh, (laughs) it was less off-putting um and i i like the ways in which this movie departed from the original film, although they were quite few, uh, fewer than I was expecting based on how the movie began uh, when Jasmine is all already in the marketplace at the start and is included in the one jump ahead sequence. Uh, I thought that was really cool. 
Yeah, I really liked that. I think they probably had to do some of that just because of timing, you know, with adding new songs and creating a little more character depth. They're probably like, well, let's just hop right into it. I thought that maybe when she was out in the market that she had gone out like lots of times and she and Aladdin were maybe already friends. And I think, Philip, you had a similar thought, right? When I looked through your notes. Yes, I thought that might have been a possibility. But apparently not. They. This is the first time they've met. How, how do you think that would have played out? Like if they were actually running schemes and sort of pretending to be siblings, uh, you think that would have made for kind of a more interesting dynamic? Or do you think the romance plays better if they're just meeting for the first time? I think it, was a total, it would be a totally different movie. I was going to say, yeah, I think in Disney movies, it's best if love interests only know each other for like three days, because that's sort of like how it works with Disney. And I agree with Hannah. It would just be a totally different movie, Um, but it would be interesting. I just think that then it would be really strange that she wouldn't recognize him at all and that he would feel so comfortable lying to her because I get lying to someone you've known for a day or two, but if you were best friends with someone and then you had this huge lie, it would be a little more hurtful to Jasmine, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you also get the scene of Aladdin visiting the palace before he even becomes a prince, which is kind of a cool departure. Uh, it, and you really get the sense of Aladdin's skills as a thief um, and, and as a, you know, a sneaky infiltrator What I liked about that, about him getting introduced to Jasmine Mm -hmm. before he's a prince, it kind of gave them that opportunity to create a little bit of flirtation. It shows that, you know, she already kind of has this crush on him. He already sort of has this crush on her, you know, says, I'll meet you tonight under the moon or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was good. And it, it validated their love a little bit more to me. It made it feel a little more concrete as opposed to just like, the magic carpet ride being like the end all be all the way it is in the animated version. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that Disney put, put that in um, to this. And yeah, their, their relationship is strained a little bit even before the wish when she, you know, he, uh, well, Abu, I guess, steals her bracelet from her. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of goes back to thinking, oh, he's just a simple thief. You know, th- this, City really isn't as you know wonderful as I maybe hoped you know from dreaming about it from inside the castle walls. Oh, and they also justify why she's so uh, secluded from the rest of the world, which, which right. is nice. They talk about how her mother was um, assassinated. Assassinated, yeah. So, and it kind of gives you more understanding for the Sultan as well, um, which I think is good again creating more depth for these characters more connection and i mean i would maybe want my daughter to stay in the palace too if my partner had been murdered assassinated mm-hmm. yeah, and i think it's really interesting because in most disney movies um that's kind of a subject line behind the scenes is that they rarely have two parents um and that was like a personal thing with walt disney if you look it up i think but he um usually the mom is the one that's not there and I think it's really interesting that they finally gave an explanation because in the original animated film they don't say why she doesn't have a mother there and in most of the other films they never say why they don't have a mom they'll have a wicked stepmother but they usually don't have a mother in the film and it's interesting that for the first time in forever um we finally have an explanation 
You know what's funny, Hannah and Philip, that I didn't think about? They also <laughs> do that. They also did that for the Beauty and the Beast live action. They explained how the mother passes away. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they did. They didn't do in the animated. So maybe, yeah, yeah that is really cool. Maybe that they're that's... kind of changing their ways. Hmm. Well. I, I kind of like how these live action versions, uh, they typically have a little longer runtime than the originals. And uh, it just gives them more ability to open up uh, the, the lore and the backstory. Uh, you know, they get to flesh out some of the, these things a little bit better, um, which is, you might as well do if you're going to retell the story to you know, introduce a few new concepts. It, it did stick a little more closely than I thought they would like, even with the wishes and how those played out, I thought they were maybe going to do something differently. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the casting. I know of Naomi Scott from Power Rangers, which I really liked. I thought she was great in that. <laughs> My uh, brothers always made me watch Power Rangers, but I never really thought of her from that, so I didn't look her up in, in the Power Rangers realm. But that's fun to know. Mm-hmm. I think she's the Pink Ranger. She's like a. She might be a cheerleader or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then um, Mina Masood, he was on <laughs> Jack Ryan, um, Open Heart, which was, I think, a Nickelodeon series or a Nick, Teen Nick series. So not as familiar with him. Um, and then Marwan Kanzari as Jafar. He was on Murder on the Orient Express. Oh my gosh, he was. I knew I recognized him. Thank you, Philip, because I was staring at him for so long, and you know how it is when something's on the tip of your tongue? Murder on the Orient Express. Interesting. <laughs> I, I don't remember him from that. Do you, do you remember the specific character? No, I just know that I've seen him somewhere, and I okay. know I've seen that movie, so I hope you're right with your facts, and that's where I saw him. <laughs> he was in The Mummy and What Happened to Monday. Uh, we also have... Um, a new character in the form of Dahlia. And I she was a fun her. character. I loved her. Love. <laughs> I loved her. And I love that she, um, spoiler, spoiler, here comes the spoiler, that mm. she's the mom of the genie's kids. And like, we know like the genie's after life or whatever, after the movie path. Um, and that like, it's all of her big dreams coming true and she finds love and her bestie Jasmine finds love. Hint, hint. Um, and I, Jasmine or Dahlia, like, what are you hinting at? No, I'm saying hint, hint that Jasmine finds love in the movie Aladdin. If the oh, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler. in trouble. Um, yes, I loved her. And I loved that um, it was kind of like a giddy first love kind of love. And that they just end up sailing away together. And he doesn't just say, I'm going to Disney World and fly away. Now we know. That he took his little Disney trip, he came back, got a wife, mm -hmm. got a boat, and moved right along. That I, I like that little addition to Genie. Like if you couldn't have the grandiosity of, you know, the Robin Williams performance, then at least they were able to add some dimension with him, you know, having a romantic arc and one that actually worked really well for me. Uh, Dahlia, played by Nassim Pedrad, and. Iranian-American actress uh, from Despicable Me 2, No Strings Attached, and Saturday Night Live. Yes, she was amazing on SNL. I recognized her right away. She was amazing. She's hilarious. And she also has, like, little stand-up videos, which 
I'm getting a little off track here, but I love her. Oh, that's, yeah, I, I didn't really know about her. I don't follow SNL all that closely. Um, and then, then we have Naveed Negaban from 12 Strong, Homeland, and Charlie Wilson's War as the Sultan. Uh, he's uh, Iranian-born. Um, he did a, a good job, uh, very kind of stoic compared to the- I was the... going to say a lot more serious. <laughs> we were talking in the last podcast about how childlike the Sultan was. So that was another twist that they pulled. So even though it was shot by shi- shot, by shot, it still was a very different movie. Um, the Sultan being as serious as he was, stoic's probably a better word. Mina, Mina Masood is uh, Canadian and, or Egyptian Canadian. Um, and Naomi Scott is English, and uh, Marwan Kinzari is a Dutch actor. Uh, Will Smith was born <laughs> in West Philadelphia, born and raised, not just his character, but him himself. Um, so full, full-blooded American in his case. Um, the, there was maybe one person I thought would have been perfect for the genie, um, Oddly enough, my first um, instinct was uh, someone no, nobody on the probably listening to this knows, but my pastor, his name's Erwin McManus. He's <laughs> exceedingly, we'll be him up. <laughs> he's extremely charismatic. He's he has a church right in the heart of Hollywood and really plays to the Hollywood crowd. Um, but he's not an actor. Uh, so my second impulse was. One of my favorite actors, if not my favorite actor working today, which is Hugh Jackman. <gasps> Hugh Jackman? You know, I that would be a very different movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait. Are you ready to hear who I thought they were going to cast? I'm ready. Are we just, I thought they would cast, like, Josh Gad because he's been doing so much Disney lately. And he has, like, that quirky, like, genie-esque animated film personality. I would have hated mm. that. Will Smith is literally the opposite of Josh Gad. I know. Will Smith was perfect, though. I doubted it for a really long time, that casting, but they really pulled it off. And he just brought the vibes of the whole movie together. Yeah, I wouldn't change it now, but um, if, you know, I had to decide, you know, Hugh Jackman just has such incredible range. And, you know, he does musicals. He's, you know, he can do comedy. Um, I, you know. I feel like he could potentially do like an actual um, Robin Williams style uh, to his performance if if he gave it a go. Um, but you know, John, Robin Williams truly is inimitable. So it's it is good that they probably ultimately went with a you know, different direction. Alan Tudyk, by the way, uh, are you familiar with him? Um, he, I think we've mentioned him because I'm not. Yeah, Alan, he's been a voice in quite a few Disney projects in the past decade, starting with um, in Wreck-It Ralph. He, he was King Candy, but then he also went on to do uh, Duke Wesselton from Frozen. Uh, he, he was this weasel character in Zootopia. <laughs> he was the chicken in Moana. Uh, he, he was K2SO, the droid in Rogue One. Um, and then, yeah, he's he's just been kind of a good luck charm for Walt Disney Pictures uh, for for the past several years, and now he's he's come in for um, to to replace Gilbert Gottfried as the voice of Iago, uh, and 
yeah, Iago's a bit more realistic in this. As is Abu, yeah, they're both a little. I didn't really quite like the animation of the character, uh, the animal characters, with the exception of Carpet and Raja. Like, mm. I thought they looked weird. Like, I thought they looked a little mangy, but maybe that was the point. I think Abu looked good in like what I thought he would look like, but I thought that both Iago and Abu had almost a gray cast over them. It's almost like they didn't finish animating them, slapped it on, and then just forgot to color like brighter to match. The oh, wait, hmm. we could be wrong because Hannah and I didn't see it in 3D. Philip, did you see it in 3D? Did it look? I, I did. Um, Abu kind of just looked like a CGI character. I, it was mostly convincing, uh, and I understand like making him perform actions that you couldn't necessarily train a monkey, a real monkey to do. But I do wish that in um, some of the shots where he was just behaving more normally, they, they would have gotten a real monkey. Uh, and, and that would have just brought the reality of the, the film a little bit more to bear. Than... Uh-oh, I don't think we want to get Hannah started on animal actors. Oh, not a fan of that. We'll stick to CGI, right? Well, Anna? Said they were CGI. And would you want a real tiger to lick your face, Philip? Because I don't think so. And then somehow the tiger. <laughs> the, the tiger was fine. The, yeah, I mean, mo monkey actors are pretty common. Um, they could have yeah, gotten like a a real capuchin monkey, which is, I believe, what what they were going for. Uh, yeah, or we could just like leave them in the jungle where they belong and use animation. <laughs> so yeah, there's also a lot of other fun stuff that we have in this movie, like new songs and a very handsome Aladdin with some great dance moves. Uh, mm -hmm. Very handsome Aladdin. Very, very handsome. This is the PG part of the podcast where I'm telling you, ladies, boys, listen up. Very handsome Aladdin. And did Will Smith work out for how many months for this? Yeah, Missy turned to me and goes, whoa, he's buff. <laughs> if the listeners don't know who Misty is, she's like our other bestie, besides Jody and Philip. Mm -hmm. And Dawson. Dawson and Dawson. Well, last note on Abu, we do have Frank Welker, uh, the voice actor behind the original Abu, returning as, uh, as the Abu in this version. Uh, he also was the voice of the monkey in the original Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. Yeah, something that I'm incredibly nostalgic for. And so I, you know, because of that, I am biased for using like a real live monkey just to give it that kind of added, uh, you know, almost nostalgic feel of just the grounded grittiness of, of movies that were made back in the days before CGI. But um, uh, he also was the voice of the Cave of Wonders. So nice little oh, yeah. nod to the original. Uh, I forgot that the Cave of Wonders spoke because he just kind of says, looking for the diamond in the rough twice. No, he doesn't. He says, you must only find the diamond. No, he also says, <laughs> who disturbs my slumber? Or is that in the shake, first shake, one? Shake, shake, shake. No, I think uh, he said it in this one too. It's, it's a little different. Yeah, it's not, it's not the same recordings. Um, okay, edit what I set out because I don't want to sound like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, whoever was right, keep that part in. 
It's okay. I, I can't remember if he says anything differently from the original. I think he does, but I, I don't remember exactly what. Um, you, you were talking about the dancing. I was really impressed with the dancing. Yes, We have yes, a lot to say yes. about the dancing. Please. I don't have a lot to say about the dancing, but I love, obviously, that Bollywood style is really, like, hypnotic. It's intricate. It's fun. It's captivating. And I thought that scene where Aladdin... Well, they use it kind of throughout the movie and during the parade, um, during uh, their dance together with, with Prince Ali. Anytime it happened, my eyes, like I said, were stapled open. But I did read somebody who said that they didn't like that they only used Bollywood dancing because it was like not good to show that that's the only dance that like they have in like those countries but i thought it was amazing and i don't think people are exposed enough to bollywood dancing mm -hmm. so i thought it was perfect and the costumes mm -hmm. I, hannah can talk about the costumes but i love the dancing well that style of dancing is usually you know accompanied by very bright colors the same kind of styling that that was used in the production design of this film Correct. So it made a lot of sense within the context of you know, mm -hmm. this, this very colorful, um, just full of exotic patterns and uh, you know fabrics and costumes. You know that they would have that that type of dancing as well. So um, for the dancing, I just thought it was very interesting that they took um, Bollywood style and almost matched it with hip hop, which is part of the movie overall. I think they took a lot of aspects from the culture and the old movie and right now and tried to mash it all together. So like an example of that would be there was a lot of tutting. Tutting is just like our movements that represent like um, like Egyptian style would if you saw like a hieroglyph, you would see oh, okay. that it would have like tutting movements. Mm -hmm. um, and those are used a lot in just that side of the world. Um, and then they use lots of Bollywood and they use lots of um, hip hop. But Jamal Sims is the choreographer of this, I think is what I read. I read an article that was really bashing the dancing, but I think people need to know that Jamal Sims is a hip hop choreographer and he's a funk choreographer. So he was hired to bring in what he specializes in, which is hip hop and funk, mainly hip hop. And he just wanted to take those dances and they wanted to be inspired by um, different shapes of the body and those hieroglyphs and different things like that, that would be of the culture of that time. And I think Disney did a really good job staying respectful keeping it modern and nodding at the old movie. So if you look at the old movie, really there's not dancing. Aladdin doesn't do a backflip in the <laughs> cartoon version, spoiler again. Um, but I think that they took a lot from the old movie. So if you watch the Prince Ali, that scene, whatever it's called, the big parade, um, and you watch the dancing in that, they have the twirling girls. And in A Friend Like Me, they have the little dancers, which in that scene, I was a little disappointed looking for more dancing just because that's something that I look forward to. And I thought they did a really good job of taking it and melding it in with the music. So with the music that he was given, obviously, there was several points in the music that it had more of a hip hop vibe than a Bollywood vibe. So he was using the choreography and he was using the music he was given and he was mushing them together to make a product. And that's exactly what he was paid for. And I think that he did a great job. And I think the internet needs to take like one minute 
to recognize <laughs> Jamal Sims. Give him a round of applause. Shh, the crowd goes wild. They need yeah. to give him a round of applause and know that those dances were very clean. I'm sure Disney was like, nobody's going to mess up our little two-step. But I know that they really tried to do a lot of Bollywood movements. They really tried to use all those Egyptian um, tutting moves for like different aspects of the culture. And they also did use a little bit of the animated choreography. And I think he definitely did his research. That's all. Awesome. That was a lot of stuff about dancing, Hannah. Now let's talk about this. Sorry, that's my mind. No, it was good. No, it was good. And I I just wanted the only thing I was going to chime in is like, I super agree that the way he decided to do the choreography really lined up well with the way they decided to edit the soundtrack and the score, keeping things a little more syncopated, a little more modern. Um, Overall, creating a soundtrack that is really with the times and also makes sense with this classic movie and story. Right, because if you're not going to modernize it or change it in any way, why are you remaking it in the first place? Yeah, go home. You're canceled. (laughs) You're canceled. Go home. We don't need you at the AMC or whatever movie theater you go to, not sponsored by (laughs) the AMC. This movie was production designed by Gemma Jackson. Uh, She's worked as a production designer on Game of Thrones. Oops, can I ask uh, a question? What's what that? does a production designer do? What's their overall role so, with the movie? Kind of the overall look of the film, the the way that the sets and the uh, kind of the colors and and designs all mesh together, um, just to give everything sort of a very coherent feel. That's the role of the production designer. All right, sorry, um, continue. <laughs> and I, I thought that that was one of the more strong aspects mm-hmm. of this film, which uh, is why I wanted to bring it up. Uh, she's also worked with Guy Ritchie on Le- uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Very, very impressive uh, work on, on bringing that whole, just the vibrancy of animation into this film. And we talked a lot about how on the last episode, you know, the original Aladdin was very uh, uniform and stylistic, kind of had that Al Hirschfeld feel. Um, and uh, not, not all Disney animated films necessarily have the synergy that Aladdin does in the design. And I think that really came through in this film as well. I, I thought, you know, Beauty and the Beast, the live action version felt a little muddier not as vibrant or uniform, um, you know, as the animated version. This um, is much cleaner. Yes. And I think that they took a lot of thinking to say, okay, like this is from the animated movie. This is going to be modernized. And this is like, they had sections and nods in every way in dancing mm-hmm. in acting in animation itself in the movements of the animals and everything. I rewatched the, um, the animated one before I watched this one and I really recognized a lot of the nods that they had to the old film right I keep calling it the old film but mm-hmm. yeah I think something to remember is they're getting more and more practice with these live actions they are finally getting more critique and more feedback based off of like Jungle Book, Cinderella, like we said, Beauty and the Beast. So they're they're having a chance to sort of grow 
with what the audience wants and what the audience needs. Um, so that might have something to do as well with the overall, uh, what do you call it, Philip? Production, Production design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with maybe, yeah. Yes. All right, well, um, Aladdin is captured by Jafar and is taken to the Cave of Wonders. Uh, apparently, Patrick Stewart was lobbying for this role uh, oh. because he turned down the opportunity to voice Jafar in the, uh, the original animation. Oops, big mistake. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Patrick Stewart kind of in the news lately because he's getting a new Star Trek TV series. Um, but yeah, the, the Cave of Wonders was pretty cool. It's a little more realistic uh, than the, the original version, uh, which was a bit more elaborate and uh, labyrinthian. Um, this one is sort of just one big cavern and then the lamp is, is right in the center. There aren't as many like tunnels and stuff. Um, introduced to the, to the carpet, the cave you know, gets destroyed when Abu does his thing. Um, you know, Abu also steals the, the lamp away from Jafar. Jafar is never in a disguise in this version. Um, but um, yeah, the, uh, the cave destruction, I, I really liked how like the gold kind of melted into the rock and that, that was a really cool uh, set where they were um, trying to figure out how to get out of there. Um, it, it really didn't make any sense why they could, why they had any light in, in the original Aladdin, because as far as I know, that little area of the cave where they were stuck was completely enclosed. Um, in this version, there's a little bit of light coming through the top. So they, they uh, justified a little bit. Um, but then, yeah, Genie does his whole introduction. Um, you know, we, we've uh, talked a little bit about this. Um, I thought they were going to maybe change up the wishes structure because Aladdin literally does say, you know, I, I wish for you to get us out of this cave. Um, but there's uh, like a, some weird um, manipulation done. Aladdin's using his you know, magic, like he's very skilled with sleight of hand and he and Abu have an established you know, rapport where they work together to you know, play off little tricks. Abu is such trouble. Yeah, he is. I mean, at least they establish he is still an animal. Like he's not, you know, superhumanly intelligent for an animal. Um, but I, I didn't really understand why, you know, you have to necessarily be like rubbing the lamp or something as you're wishing. I didn't catch that part of the rules. Maybe it's because they caught the mistake we caught in the original where it almost seemed like he had four wishes and they're like, eh, one way to just like avoid this is to say you have to have your hand on the lamp. Yeah, it was definitely a new rule. Okay. He just made that one up for this movie. They were like, oops, got to add it in. Yeah, I guess they established that the power of the genie does come from the lamp itself, you know, as well as kind of the, the genies. The, the two of them work together uh, as as a unit, um, so I guess yeah that that was sold fairly well. I thought it would have been interesting if Aladdin was down by one wish uh, going forward from but their. But then escape. you wouldn't be able to let him be free. Um, they would have just had to have made a few different choices. 
Um, the, the scene where Aladdin almost drowns is in this version. Uh, Jafar pushes him out of the window of the castle, which is right on the coast. Um, and uh, that was a, a fun scene. I, I, I liked the. It was almost an homage to The Little Mermaid <laughs> in the, the underwater contract. I did not even notice that did. when Ursula makes her sign it and she's really sticking out her hand and signs her name real big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just two incidents in Disney movies where you know someone signs a contract for an yeah. enchantment and under what's that? It glows. And, it glows. and both of them wrote their names very big. Like Ariel gave John Hancock a run for his money. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And it was, it made that whole wish a, a little bit more final. And, and yeah, like, like the whole relationship between Genie and Aladdin is, is well developed. Um, Genie uh, does talk about sort of his relationships with past masters and, you know, none of them were on the level of Aladdin in terms of, you know, just the, the personal connection between the two. Right, they're besties now. And they let it really grow organically just from little things like, you know, saying the word friend at the beginning so that when the time came for Aladdin to sort of, in a way, betray Genie or, you know, turn around, do a 180 on him, um, it felt a lot more hurtful because you really did get a chance to establish this connection between the both of them and this bond helping each other with girls and helping each other with this new role and everything so I, yeah. I thought that was good again just another good choice with live action I, I think mm -hmm. I keep praising everything they do but I liked that a lot yeah Jeannie has Aladdin's back in many ways he's coaching him through the relationship but also he Jeannie cautions Aladdin against using his wishes for things like obtaining wealth and power mm -hmm. uh, saying, saying that's never worked out seen it happen and I think it was like a good lesson for like viewers it's like a reminder you can have everything in the world you can have all the money you can have all the power you can have all of these things but like if that reputation was what matters more than character like at the end of the day you're screwed like it was just kind of really nailing that in I think was mm -hmm. it bad to say screwed why are you laughing well, I'm just saying that I think it, it was good that he really pressed that like money's not going to fulfill you, like fame is not going to fulfill you, because I think that's something everyone forgets. Like we're all just doing everything for the Instagram likes and it really doesn't matter. Like what matters having friends that, okay, I'm getting off topic here, but I'm just saying I really liked the theme. Okay, bye. Well, some hilarious, awkward <laughs> scenes. Um, you know, the meet when, when uh, Aladdin's first meeting Jasmine as Prince Ali, and he has no idea how to be a prince. Um, that that was really cool. <laughs> the, the bit about the jams. Um, I love the jams. It was a little upplayed, but it was pretty funny. And I feel like the like one kid in the theater was like, "LOL." <laughs> jams. I I like how it adds some dimension to Aladdin's character. He's not this just overpowered character you know who's really great at hustling on the street and he's also really charming and he can pretend to be a prince no he he's like an actual real person who has a great smile has no idea what he's doing you know yeah if he's outside of his comfort zone he's useless 
Totally useless. Remember, we do have another prince character <laughs> in, in this oh, movie. I try to forget the Scandinavian guy. <laughs> the Scandinavian, Scottish, whatever he is, hockey player, Hong Kong prince. Prince Anders of Scanlan. <gasps> Anders, oh my God. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that was his name. That was like my high school crush. I don't care. No one's listening. It's fine. I, I thought Jody would appreciate that. <laughs> That's good. I, I didn't catch it because it's been a, a decade or two, but what a what a strong, charming name for such a silly, weird prince. I mean, the talk about very silly. And why was he like on that mountaintop at the end? I don't remember what that. What are you talking about? He was like, take me back home. Was that not him? Nope. Oh. Yeah. Is that the the prince that genie creates out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That wasn't him. That was a different guy. Oh. I mean, oh. it could be him for all we know. I Yeah, I think it was just a random person that like, because genie can, he can just create, you know, people, I guess. Not not like real people, but magical well, conjurations. Like almost teleportation was what I thought, but I think you're right because during friend like me, he randomly gets all those people and all those animals and does whatever he needs to do. Yeah, and Prince Ali, like the Prince Ali entourage is all just people who are manifested from you know, the magic. I'd be in that entourage. They had some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. What, uh, one line from that song that always stood out is, you know, Prince Ali is strong as 10 regular men but that never comes into play later in the film. It's, it's kind of a bummer. We don't see Aladdin totally, you know, without his extreme prowess. <laughs> <laughs> or he doesn't maintain that, I guess. That maybe just isn't part of the deal. It was just for, for that one line. <laughs> right. It was more of a nod than a leap. Yeah, than an actual character attribute. He's, he's not supposed to be a, a superhero. Yes. And I think that it was funny that the genie was stronger than him, but also it was interesting because the genie is more powerful than him. So maybe they're using that as a power move. But again, it's not a superhero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the whole question of like, I, I feel like I should, or I feel like you should be my master, Aladdin says to genie, you know, when confronted with the grandeur that is the genie of the lamp. Well, if you think about it, Aladdin represents um, the poor class. So he's really never been the master of anything. He doesn't even have a real house. He has a monkey and a ripped up sheet and top of a staircase, essentially. Yeah, uh, clearly very mechanically skilled <laughs> based on the right. contraption you know, he uses to get to his, his little house. And Jasmine even takes a nod at that and talks about his craftsmanship a little bit, mm -hmm. um, which is very interesting. Turns her on. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Woo! I know you guys have been waiting, and uh, here's the very first trailer for Aladdin. Here's the very first trailer. Don't get dizzy, though. Don't get dizzy before we start the trailer. Don't get dizzy. Oh. I can make you rich. Rich enough to impress a princess. What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders. 
Bring me the lamp. Oh, great one who summons me, I stand by my oath. Loyalty to wishes three. I'm kidding. What did you think of the whole New World sequence? Loved it. I thought that it was a great nod to the old movie they even had. The bit where he goes down on the carpet and she thinks he jumped off the patio. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, she doesn't tell him explicitly to go jump off a balcony. Right, he just does it. Mm-hmm. Like every good boy, he hears what he needs to hear and then just goes for the dramatic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the song itself was wonderful. I thought I might cry because when I went to Beauty and the Beast live action, I cried during the Tale as Old as Time song and I was like, ooh, here comes the ballad. Like, get the Kleenexes ready, Misty. Mm-hmm. But... I think I was so entranced with just kind of like watching them up in the clouds. We didn't see it in 3D, so I don't know if we had the same experience that you might have had, Philip. But the song itself, I mean, with those like words and, and that music, you really can't fail. They could have been sitting on the ground singing it acapella style, and I would have been like, wow, that was amazing. Yeah, I mean, they didn't jump into ludicrous speed and visit various <laughs> landmarks around the world, which was nice. I like that they kept it uh, more believable. Um, they just kind of, you know, they jaunted around the kingdom uh, and saw, you know, all the various, like they got to see people hanging out in the streets of Agrabah and, you know, it was a little bit more intimate that way. I, I really loved that Jasmine loved her people so much. I thought that was a very good character choice. And I thought the whole new world sequence kind of made that all come back into play. So it was kind of carrying her through the movie is how much that she really cared for her people. We did have a brief preview of her singing uh, in the film. She, she has kind of a, just a short musical moment towards the beginning. Uh, that you yeah, have the song Speechless. Uh, whereas in, in the original, A Whole New World is like the only song that she appears on. So, Yeah, they really made, that song was really like their opportunity to give it a little extra girl power. Like it, I mean, that's what the world is talking about right now is, you know, empowering women and especially women of color. So I think that they made the perfect choice by giving her that, really strong, really empowering song. Uh, I think it created a whole new character, really. Not that Jasmine wasn't strong before, but she's definitely even bolder and braver and more of a role model now with this speechless song. And I I agree with Hannah, I've been playing it ever since we saw the movie. I thought it was amazing. It really, really made her a powerhouse and it made her more a part of the movie, which is interesting because she's the main interest in the movie. And if you think about it, the plot really revolves around her and her decisions, but that showed that she has the power that's always been taken away from her. And it was very, very empowering. And I actually think I love the song so much, but I think that it was missing a verse. It went from zero to 60 in like three seconds. But I think if it had one more verse or just like, it almost had a hook, a hook and a bridge instead of like, verse verse instead of normal mm. set up within like a song but I still loved it I thought she really 
needed that moment. I thought that that moment really carried her as a character. The only part of the moment that I didn't love was when everyone was disappearing, but I think it was more of a dream sequence. Um, it was just very similar to what was happening in reality, so it was a little confusing, but I really, really enjoyed that song. Mm -hmm. It gave me Elsa vibes, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Elsa vibes. Oh, yeah, that's so. true. Yeah, a power ballad like that, it definitely gives you chills. And I mean, that's what Elsa, that's what she's known for is Let It Go. And now Speechless is the live action Aladdin version. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I guess we come to kind of the conflict and resolution of this film where, you know, Jafar is, realizes that um, Aladdin is the master of the lamp and is uh, you know going to take any uh, opportunity he can to retrieve it. It was kind of an interesting choice of how he does so. He like, it's just that scene in the curtains where he appears and kind of does his little, you know, hocus pocus <laughs> um, mm -hmm. sleight of hand. Uh, then that was after he, he had been locked up in jail. We never see him escape. So I guess we just assume, you know, his wiles that allowed him to do so. Maybe uh, Iago helped him. Did Iago get stuck oh. in the lamp too? I don't remember. I know in the movie he gets sucked up in there, but I don't remember on live action. Iago did get sucked into the lamp, but also there's a part where Iago brought him the key. Oh, okay. I, I totally <laughs> blanked on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of is very straightforward from here on out. Um, you know, uh, Aladdin pulls his trickery. J Jafar uses the phrase, you know, the most powerful being in the world. He doesn't say actual genie. Um, but I, I oh, think yeah. that's this is when the gray area that this version of the genie likes to bring up uh, frequently um, the, the magical gray area comes into play when you know you can only make a wish so specific so when you know Jafar says the most powerful being well what's more powerful than genie well maybe just a somewhat more powerful genie <laughs> and uh, yeah good point I didn't think about that and so when you're a genie you get everything that comes with it um, and I guess um, hearkening back to the theme of service and you know, how ultimate power comes in the form of service rather than self-centeredness, you know, sacrifice is, is more important than uh, self-fulfillment um, and is actually necessary to self-fulfillment. Um, if you are becoming the being of ultimate power, in, it in some ways, um, it um, handcuffs you. Uh, to, to only use that power in non-abusive ways. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so maybe there is some logic as to why being an ultimately powerful being um, leads you to, you know, to, to have this, um, you know, what, what could be seen as a inhibition you know, on your powers when really it's, you know, you can't have, you can't wield great power if you are going to do so irresponsibly because it would just be taken away but the theme is also money doesn't buy happiness 
that that too <laughs> that was the and, one i was trying to explain earlier but your theme is better philip so you're right well i don't know i like like why can't jafar just wish himself to be an all-powerful being and then you know he becomes that and then he just you know uses his power to rule the world and get everything he wants i don't um, think he was thinking super clearly by that point mm -hmm. there was a lot of wind and a lot of noise and he was probably just like all right all right how can i get my next like high because being sultan wasn't gonna you know he he wasn't taking his mm -hmm. time the way aladdin was he wasn't being thoughtful about it all he cared about was getting to the top and he messed well, up aladdin tells him that he um that he isn't the most powerful because the genie is more powerful than him and aladdin and the genie kind of have that eye contact moment so Aladdin is showing the genie that through his eyes, just through like friendship, eye contact, that this is how they're going to defeat the Jafar. Um, and so you have that tiny hint there. And then Jafar confuses himself because he's power hungry. We've seen this before in real life a few times. Um, we see that Jafar is so power hungry that he can't control himself. And of course he wants to be a genie, but he doesn't realize that genies aren't free because that's never been explained to him because Jafar really hasn't listened to anyone the whole film. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I, and genie does help Aladdin out while he's in the service of Jafar. Uh, he still has a, a bit of agency. I, th I think he's actually responsible for like teleporting the carpet to uh, you know retrieve Aladdin when Aladdin gets you know sent to the the Arctic. I, I imagine that that's how that scene played out. Um, <laughs> kind of a, a convenient survival <laughs> of this just totally outrageous scenario of uh, Aladdin being banished to a glacier. I think that was Bemidji, Minnesota, actually. Oh, you're probably right. My, uh, <laughs> my hometown, um, or, you know, close. That's where I moved to LA from, Bemidji, Minnesota. We actually grew up just outside of Bemidji, <laughs> Jody and I. Um, yeah, good times. Um, and then, yeah, the um, wrap-up of Aladdin, you know, giving his final wish, wishing the genie free well he kind of does so uh, um unexpected or you know the genie sort of protests and it would be you know is acting like he uh you know he has all these things that he could do for aladdin and you know jasmine i suppose as well if she were to take the lamp she could get her own three wishes so it's yeah, like they should have just passed it around a couple times and then at the end let the genie be free like they could have wished for world peace, maybe. I guess I don't remember what the rules were, but um, yeah, good idea, Philip. Jeez, you should be writing these movies. <laughs> I mean, it. I I think ethically, like not using the genie as just this this tool, you know, this instrument for one's own pleasure, is is the best kind of moral tale that they could have gone with. Um, so I mean, it it, it works, it, and of course, it mirrors the original as well. The you know there aren't any more wishes than than what are shown here, um, and and I think it's just it goes to the theme of how magic and and great power, you know, don't 
they don't necessarily they they aren't going to necessarily bring about good you have mm-hmm. to have character and that's the only true magic that's what i was trying to say yes that is what it is it's saying that like magic isn't greater than a good heart really which is cheesy but it's true shoot so i guess magic isn't all it's cracked up to be I'd still take some though. If anyone out there has a lamp that they're not using, like feel free to ship it down to Augusta, Georgia. I'll pick it up and give it some. Give it some. Nope. <laughs> so what would you give it, Philip? What would you give it out of? So, so if uh, out of ten, I'd give it a solid seven. A seven? That's not bad for you. You're you have a critical eye, so a seven. I could live with that if I was Disney. Hannah, mm-hmm. what about you? Movie seven, speechless eight and a half. And Jody, does anyone want to know what I thought? Jo- jo- yeah, Jody. <laughs> <laughs> no, she wanted- I'd give it a nine, but that's just. I'm a generous, like I'm a generous rater. Like I don't know all the ins and outs of all the movies, so I'm really more of that. Like go in and like if I leave with a smile, like it was worth my twelve dollars. Like I, th- I thought it was great. It was nine. I want to watch it again. And I don't usually say that after watching a movie. It might be my favorite live action, with the exception of Cinderella. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't know. In some ways, it reminded me like a Disney Channel original movie with like really good production value, just because it is sort of like a reenactment of this story that we're already very familiar with. Do you think children who aren't familiar with this story, so let's say these seven and eight-year-olds, do you think them going into it with this being their first version of Aladdin, do you think they'll find it as mesmerizing as we found the 92 version? Do you think kids will be impressed by this or are we kind of fogged over with nostalgia? Well, I think there is a a possibility of that with just the, the great level of detail that we kind of discussed that went into this film. It it was given a good amount of love and care uh, to to where I think it will dazzle kids. And I haven't checked the box office numbers, but I imagine it's it's doing pretty well. I know for sure, just from browsing Twitter, that they're saying it soars past critics' expectations. So I'm assuming they got a little money in their pocket. I think I read maybe 120. One million. Ooh, I, I that would have been it. that would have been just ridiculous. Anna's on her phone, so I think she's sleuthing around for us. Let's figure However, out what it got. It is a a four day weekend, or a, a yeah, I guess it's a know, memorial weekend. M- memorial Day, so Friday through Monday might be you know in that 100, 120 level. But I'm looking at here, uh, ninety million. Four hours ago, it was one hundred and thirteen million. Okay, so I, I I bumped it up a little, but still, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a good opening weekend for for a remake. That is fantastic. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, congratulations to uh, Guy Ritchie and the crew of Aladdin. Um, Guy, Guy Ritchie is kind of famous for um, the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. Um, he also did a cult classic called Snatch uh, with Brad Pitt and some of those uh, kind of late 90s stars. Um, I have not seen any of those. Yeah, I, I have not seen them. 
Aladdin, so I trust him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's uh, known for some fast-paced action, so, sort of a frenetic energy about him. Uh, the screenplay was co-written by Guy Ritchie and John August of the movie Go, uh, movie Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Frankenweenie, as well as the novel Arlo in the Valley of Fire. It's a little bit of a uh, little bit of maybe uh, Tim Burton influence <laughs> in this in this movie as well. Um, I, the the missing link connection that I was going to bring up was the the Hugh Jackman uh, point that I had about how I thought he would have made a good genie. Oh, because he was the mm-hmm. yeah the voice of the um, mm, I I know the character's name. Do you do you remember Hannah? <laughs> um, Hugh Jackman's character in The Missing Link. Mr. Frost. Frost, Lionel Frost, yes. Lionel, that's him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Jody, you still haven't quite had an appropriate opportunity to share your full thoughts on. Oh, I've been sharing my thoughts. For those of you who follow me, I have been telling the world far and wide that Missing Link was one of the best animated movies of the year. I am obsessed. I know I didn't get to do that podcast, but... I'll go live one day on Instagram if you guys want to follow me. It's J-O-D-I-P-O-L-A-S-K-Y. So Jody Pulaski on Instagram. And if you keep an eye on me, one day I'm going to go live and tell you how amazing I thought that movie was. Missing Link. All right. Well, upcoming on the slate in terms of animated films, you know, we have Toy Story Story 4. Number Um, 4. Yes. uh, Secret Life of Pets 2 is coming out. We should maybe talk about that. Um, The... We we should maybe we are going to talk about that. Um, the uh, uh, Lion King remake. <gasps> yes, that one is going to take our breath away, don't you think? I mean, with what they did with Aladdin, where everyone was like, "Meh," or do you think? Or do you I, think, yeah, since yeah. this time our hopes are up, that it's going to be the opposite? I think it'll be fun because, like, when when the song started to kick in in this movie, you know, the Aladdin remake, that I started to you know tap to the beat and. It, I really got into like the musical interludes um, and it'll be the same for me with the Lion King like that. The, just the music and the soundtrack itself will sweep me away. Um, I really did not like the jungle book. Um, yeah, and I, I just might, might've been in a bad mood that day. I think give it another try because I really liked the jungle book. Okay. I, I just thought kind of, uncanny looking animals uh, you know cgi animals um sort sort of soullessly performed compared to the Wait, original were you watching the netflix original version no no this is the, you know with um who uh, bill murray as baloo and um ben kingsley as bagheera and yeah uh scarlett johansson as ka yeah there's that other one that's on netflix uh, with um andy circus uh, which I haven't seen, and that the animation looked even worse on that. Um, but but yeah, like, the the Jungle Book didn't work for me. But that's kind of a, a personal preference. I mean, you can't really beat the classic performances from a lot of those, uh, a lot of them like ra- radio personalities and also actors from classic Disney movies like uh, Phil Harris and Sebastian Cabot. Um, you know, the, the epic voice of Shere Khan. Um, it just, yeah, the, the, the new one didn't hold up for me. 
but a lot of people liked it. So it must have some something to it. I, I really like the wolves. The wolves were cute <laughs> in the newer, newer Jungle Book. Um, but other than that, I just was not in it. Feeling it. Mm -hmm. Well, luckily, we were all feeling Aladdin and we all gave that a passing review. I hope that everyone who's listening gets a chance to go and see it because I do think this is one that's worthy of going to a theater to see. Sometimes I feel like I'm like, oh, just see it when it's on Redbox. But this one on the big screen really is magical. Yes, recommend. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you both so much for joining me on this conversation about animation uh you are listening to the thodcast and my i am philip elke uh, once again to my two co-hosts for this episode and i'm going to refer to you as as co-hosts and not guests um because you the the two of you have come to be just a supremely integral part of the show yeah. it's unfortunate we our way in here didn't we you did no Can't no i'm most philip <laughs> no i it's you've contributed an incredible amount uh, we didn't have dawson with us today but that's okay he'll he'll be back in future installments yeah check out previous episodes of the show you can visit us uh, at our website uh, thodcast.com uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, and social media at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, where can the kind folks listening find you all? So start with Jody. Oh, whoops. I was waiting for Hannah because I feel like I already kind of spieled myself about missing link. But yeah, mostly I'm on Instagram, Jody, J-O-D-I, Pulaski, P-O-L-A-S-K-Y. And then, you know, you can always find me here on the Thodcast. So keep on listening. Um, yeah, you can always find me here on the Thodcast too when I'm invited back. And then you can also follow me on Instagram at Hannah with an H, Lee, L-E-I-G-H, ever after, kind of like fairy tales. And I'll be posting up all my Thodcast thoughts there and always right on here on the Thodcast. And I'm Philip Elke. You can find me on social media at Philip Elke, Philip with one L, E-H-L-K-E. Um, you can write into the show at our email, which is genresavvypodcast at gmail.com. Um, thank you so much for listening to our discussion of Aladdin in this year of our Lord, 2019, directed by Guy Ritchie. And I think that'll be all for now. Uh, you all have a magical day Bye-bye. and a wonderful week. Bye. 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 Bye.